Hi folks, this is Jack Spierka with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things we can all do to live a better life. If times get tough, or even if they don't. Today is August the 2nd, 2017, and this is episode 2056 of the Survival Podcast. And I've got an old friend coming back online with us. He hasn't been on the air probably for about two years. His name is Nicholas Bertner, and he's from the School of Rock. No, the School of Permaculture. I say School of Rock because he has an addiction to air guitar, man. Um, but, yeah, he's really a cool guy. He's a, a great permaculture teacher, a great consultant. And he's got a new course coming out on something called Landscape Assessment. We're going to talk about all that more in just a bit. If you're not like a permaculture person, let me tell you something. If you have property and you want to do something with it, anything with it, if you're going to be buying property that you're going to want to do something with, you're going to want to listen to today's show. Even if you're not into the permaculture stuff and growing lots of food and all, um, what he's put together with landscape assessment is one of the most in-depth things I've ever seen. And the software tool that comes with this course, this course is probably worth more than the cost of the course itself. I mean, I mean, seriously, just really great stuff. Anyway, we'll have Nick on in just a bit. Before we do, let's go ahead and hear from our two sponsors of the day. Guys, right now, do you know I have personally about 100 trees, vines, and bushes from Bob Wells Nursery on my property? Over time, they will produce season after season of edible products. They look great, too. Bob Wells is always my first choice when buying new trees, vines, and shrubs for my permaculture work. Check them out at bobwellsnursery.com today. Hey, folks, when I started TSP over eight years ago now, the first company to ever offer to sponsor the show was SafeCastle. And they've remained a loyal sponsor ever since February of 2009. And did you know they give away a lifetime discount membership to all MSB members? They do. And that can save you big money on everything you can imagine for your prepping needs. And with SafeCastle, I do mean everything. Check out SafeCastle.com today to learn more. Before we get Nick on, let's go ahead and take a look at the year that was. We're up to the year 36 A.D. The year 36 A.D. What's going on? We have from Southpaw Ben at TSPWiki.com, Samaritan Revolt is a pirate victory. This year, the Samaritans under the rule of Pontius Pilate Revolt. He ruthlessly crushes the uprising. So ruthlessly, in fact, that it will cause his removal from power. Uh, my take by Southpaw Ben, he says, Happy birthday, Jack. Yes, it is my birthday. While this revolt was against Rome itself and not just over the rule of Pilate, replacing him with a more lenient ruler would likely have been seen as a decent compromise by many rebelling. However, like with any rebellion, the hardcore rebels would have been oppo would have opposed this as having more a more oppressive ruler creates a political environment right for the support of rebellion. Yeah, I mean, if you're, a, if you're an insurrectionist, the last thing you want is rulers that appear reasonable while they're stepping on your throat. You want it to be very obvious that they're stepping on your throat so it causes outrage. And my take on that is that today our governments have gotten much better at using the velvet fist or maybe the velvet boot to make things look quite reasonable while they're destroying people's lives. Next up we have from David Verne, War in Judea. Uh, the semi-independent client king of Judea, Herod Antipas, has been defeated multiple times by Aretas IV of Nabatea. The war was declared when Herod divorced Aretas' daughter. 
Herod appeals to Tiberius for aid, and Tiberius orders Lucius Vitalis, the governor of Syria, to protect Herod. The campaign begins, and Vitalius moves south to Jerusalem for the winter, but will turn back around when spring arrives next year. News reached him of Tiberius' death. My take by David Verne. Judea was in a nebulous position, political situation at this time. It was ruled by the three sons of Herod the Great, between whom Rome had divided up the territory. The divorce widened disputes over territory and sparked open conflict. Lucius Viltelius was a respected politician, but was never historically noteworthy. His son, Alius Vitilius, became will become remembered in history as one of the emperors during the year of four emperors. So, I mean, my take on this is Rome probably doesn't give a damn who's in charge as long as whoever is in charge plays ball with Rome. That seems like one of the, one of the things that made Rome quite successful as an empire is that they did leave like kind of some autonomy into the areas that they were ruling and put people in power that could kind of keep their own in check and kind of back them up. Now, I'm not saying that's a good thing. I'm saying it worked. It was effective. And this is another thing that we see in modern day. Modern empires like the United States and like the United Kingdom uh, and, and what China is doing in, in Africa continue this same pattern. They say, hey, look, we're not in charge over here. But really, in a lot of ways, by using soft power and the occasional threat of hard power, they're still calling the shots, pulling the strings. The more things change, the more they stay the same. Once you recognize the pattern, it's hard not to see it. All right, folks, I want to remind you about the Survival Podcast Member Support Brigade today. That's a great way that you can support the show and get a return of investment. We offer discounts to over 60 vendors. There's a lot of video content that you can't get anywhere else. We do video all of our workshops from this point going forward. There's hours of video on our workshops in there for MSB members only. And yes, you can download them. Every episode of the Survival Podcast ever produced in convenient zip files. So you can start with episode one and binge out all the way up to episode 2000 and beyond very, very soon. That's all available, and it's all available for a cost that comes down to $50 a year. You can try the membership out for as little as $5 a month. If you have not yet become a member, please consider supporting the show as a Support Brigade member today. And with that, I want to say, hey, man, Nicholas, welcome back to the Survival Podcast. First off, Jack, thanks for having me uh, on your show again. I love what you and the Survival Podcast is doing and what y'all are all about. Thanks, man. Man, we're glad to have you here. Um, you know, we were talking off air before... Uh, before we got a recording, actually, as we were getting through our technical gremlins that hopefully will leave us alone during this show, um, and we wanted to make sure that like people got to know like who who the heck this Nicholas Burtner guy really is. So take us back to like I don't know like dude, you're spacing out like in in senior uh, you know your senior year in uh, study hall in high school, trying to figure out what the hell to do with yourself, and and how does that path lead you to the place where you're a practicing permaculturist? Absolutely. Um... Well, before, right before I get into that, uh, I, who I am, I'm a, I'm a husband, I'm a father, a new father, uh, five months, so way to go. And I know you have a new granddaughter, Tegan. Yep. Uh, so at some point, these two need to get together and like play a bunch of baby air guitar. It'll be awesome. <laughs> cool, um, yeah, dude, way cool. Um, I'm pretty much, uh, you know, I'm a huge follower of Jesus, and I'm a permaculturist, so. To kind of like, you know, start at high school, man, I was just a, uh, I was kind of like a, a geeky high schooler, <laughs> you know, to be honest with you. Uh, like my second ambition in life, well, my first ambition was to, to be in a band. My second ambition was 
to be a magician, dude. Like, <laughs> no, no joke. I'm not, you, I don't think I've ever find said a place that. that. You couldn't find a cover band that would take you as an air guitarist? I, they, I tried. I tried so much. They wouldn't even take me in. It was terrible. So I, I went to, to illusionary uh, illusionists, and, and so re- random, just randomness happened there. So what ended up happening is that, you know, this was back in 19, I don't know, 96, 98. And when I started doing that, I actually got into, well, look, I could actually sell some of these like little magic tricks you know, over the web. And this was like kind of when it was first starting out, like people can sell stuff over the web. So I set up like an online business where people can kind of order. It was like, and it was weird, man. My website had a seven at the end of www. I don't know if anybody listening to this even knows that you can do that. www seven dot whatever, whatever. Yeah. So I remember those days. That is really weird. So I sold one product. I sold one thing. That's all I did. And, and it was it was probably nobody in my family will tell me if that's the case, but it was probably somebody in my family who doesn't want me to feel bad. <laughs> so they like ordered like one thing, you know. Uh, anyhow, so I did that, and then I, I knew like I, I wanted to like start businesses. I was a, I'm a terrible employee, uh, in, you know, in a good sense of the way. Not that, I, you know, we don't work well with people. It's just, um, you know, we need to do our own thing or I need to do my own thing. So in any case, so kind of fast forward, running a business, not the magic trick business for a while uh, from like that time up until like 2010. And then I had to leave the country. I wasn't kicked out, but I but I had to leave for a while. And um, I spent a good amount of time in, in Central America, kind of all over. And when I had come back, it was my first time to like really leave the country for a long time, right? I, I was out for quite some time. And my, my point of view of the world had changed. And so I've come back, and I was uh, actually at a dog park here locally, and I, I had some random things I wanted to know. One of the things I wanted to know was to uh, how to uh, take down or put together from scratch an AR-15, believe it or not, right? Um, so I told the guy randomly at the dog park, and he was like, "Man, I got like sixteen, or I got six AR-15 kits at the house." I was like, "You're kidding me!" And then the next day, we're out there talking, and I share with him another thing that I'd never told anybody, uh, kind of like I'd never told you about the magician thing. Uh, and I said, "Man, I'd love to know how to find wild edibles." And he goes in, he launches into this story about how to. Uh, find or, or how to make flour from acorns and oh my goodness jack it blows my mind man like it just blows my mind so i'm like dude this is so freaking cool and then at the end of that after he blows my mind he says you, but you know nicholas you don't want to know how to find wild edibles what you really want to know is permaculture and i was like perma what so you know put it on my mental bookshelf didn't even think about it so you know, month or a year or six months or a year later, I can't remember. I'm down in Nicaragua in a little town uh, down there. Nicaragua is awesome. They're so tired of warfare. Everybody's super chill. I was on a, like a Tigo uh, modem plugged in my laptop, and I finally looked it up. I finally looked up permaculture. And at the time, um, it, it there was like maybe two or three websites, you know, and this was only like back in 2011, 2012 or something, you know, there were some other ways, but it was like pretty much the manual, the permaculture designer's manual, all written in like 
like word format, it's like I'm not going to read all that right now, you know. So, so I go to YouTube and there's like three videos. There's there's uh, two from Bill Mollison and, and Grave Danger of Falling Food. And if you haven't watched that, you guys go YouTube that right now. It's an amazing documentary uh, and Grave Danger of Falling Food. And the other one was The Global Gardener. So I watched those two, and then there was a third one, right? And then there was a third one, and it was like a hundred topless people with mud all over them. And I was like, you know, I just watched Bill Molson rock my face off. And then I watch this. And I'm like, I, I think I'm out. <laughs> like, I, <laughs> I know exactly what video you mean. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. The mud hippie video. The infamous <laughs> mud hippie video at this point. Yeah. yeah I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm all for it. But like this was my first, like, you know, bo- you know, entourage into finding this out. So I looked that up and, and man, uh, even though even though one third of the videos I watched were kind of like, oh, I don't know, it still blew my mind. And, you know, to be honest with you, I got like a move from God, man. I was running a business from my laptop and it, it had me like, 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 you know, dedicated lap. I couldn't leave. And like it was a movement, like, like literally God put his, his finger through my head and it touched my heart. And he, I saw that we would have a school. Right. And I knew nothing about permaculture other than like this dude told me about acorn flower and um, and and I saw these three videos. And there was a couple of websites I looked at and I, I didn't really want to read at the time. And so I knew nothing, man. And then it that around that same time, I want to I don't want to lie, say it's the same day, but I'm pretty positive it's the same week. I met a guy who who said, man, you know, I, I, I do what you do. I kind of want to run what you're doing. And it freed me up to kind of take the next step. Really cool, man. And, and before we get into your, your new course on landscape assessment, kind of give us you know a couple minutes on what that next step was for you because you went and got one hell of an education. And, and to me, you went to like the guy that I consider, like, especially at this point with, with the unfortunate passing of Bill, like the living master of permaculture, Jeff Lawton. Yeah. So... Um, yeah, yeah. Let's let's do talk about that. So oftentimes, I mean, here on your show, I'm going to go ahead and indulge when I when I give kind of my little introductory to my students. I, I very much, you know, kind of breeze over that because because it is a lot, and I don't want it to be like sound very puffery. You know what I mean? Like, look at my like illustrious, you know. And so, you know, so so just anybody listening to this, just know that before I launch into um, what Jack and I are talking about. Yeah. So. After that, like calling uh, that I got, and I knew I saw we'd have a school with no, like I had no background, nothing. I knew nothing about permaculture, knew nothing. I just knew this is what what was going to happen. And this was, you know, 2011, 2012. So I immediately came back. I found a permaculture design course here in Texas. I took it, and uh, I was hungry, like just like most people are when they come out of a permaculture design course. I was hungry as can be. Um, Dick Pierce was the lead instructor on that one. Uh, he's no longer here in Texas. He had moved to to, um, to Florida now, but we still keep in contact. Really good guy uh, and really, really solid designer, actually. I, I use a lot of his design teaching, believe it or not, to our students. So uh, if you guys never heard of Dick Pierce, check him out. Then uh, after that, I went and I was like, well, I need to really – if I went to a school, I would. I want to know the people running that school. Like, well, what are their credentials? What did they? What did they go through? So, I went through the long and arduous task of uh, education, 
<laughs> with a lot of air guitar. And so the next thing I did is I went out to Taos, New Mexico, and I hung out with Mike Reynolds and the Earthship crew, and I was in their third academy. Uh, so Earthship now has, they're called Earthship Biotexture. They have an academy to learn how to build off-grid homes in the Earthship method. And let me tell you, that is not for wimps. That's probably some of the hardest thing I've ever done. It was two months in the middle of summer uh, in the desert of Taos, New Mexico. Uh, insane, insanity, uh, lots of very, very colorful, interesting things going on. While I was there, um, I had saw that that Bill Mollison, the father of permaculture, and Jeff Lawton were teaching a PDC in Melbourne, at the University of Melbourne in Australia. And it was far enough out that I could finish up the academy. And I was like, you know, this is a no-brainer. Like, I need to do it. <clears throat> so uh, a few months later, I finished up the academy. It, it, it was um, – our art participated in, in, in finishing up. And then I immediately, you know, got all my ducks in a row, flew out to Australia and took this permaculture design course with Bill Mollison and Jeff Lawton. And I had already taken one. And, and as a kind of side note, like this is a – if you're serious, you need to take at least two PDCs. Wouldn't you agree, Jack? Dude, absolutely. I think that like – so your first PDC is really not so much what you learn. It's what you understand is possible. And then after you like meditate on that for a bit, you go do some stuff, you, you try your hand at some design, you do some projects, and you go take your second one, then you're actually ready to digest the information more as a, as a, as a form of knowledge. Because the problem that I think people have is like, even when you think you know what's possible, you, you have no idea what's really possible. Your mind is kind of locked in this box that society has put it in. And, like, the purpose of a PDC is, yes, one, to impart knowledge, but the other one is to, like, unlock your mind and freaking blow your mind. And so I see people come out for their first PDC, and they're going to do all these wonderful, great things, but then they seem to, like, not really be able to to commit and go really do it. They can play around, put some, you know, some mulch beds or something in like that, but they just don't have the confidence. And then they go take that second one, and it's like, okay, now you've been open. So it's like, you know, it's kind of like the, the Buddhist thing with if the cup is full... I can't help you if you go to the Buddhist master and say, you know, I want to know all these things and you have not yet emptied yourself. He'll tell you your cup's to a full go away. So like that first one kind of empties the cup and then the second one lets you fill it back up with something new, if that makes sense. Dude, and that's exactly what happened. And don't get me wrong, like my first PDC was amazing. It was awesome. So I'm not taking anything away from that. But just like what you're saying, you just don't know what you don't know. So I went and took my second one, and exactly what you're saying, my mind was wrecked. Like, like, <laughs> like I just, like, whoa, you know? I mean, I, there were so many connections I just saw. And I, again, man, just this inspiration, this light on fire. And, man, it blew my mind. And, and little did I know at the time, because um, I, I, I obviously get to hang out with, with Bill. It was amazing. We had some, uh, some good conversation. Uh, but to my knowledge, and I, I'm, I, I don't know if he did any other ones, and I haven't totally probed the world, obviously, but I think that was his last permaculture design course that he had ever uh, participated in. So, dude, uh, I feel so blessed on that. Uh, it, it was an amazing, uh, amazing deal. It may well have been because I know, you know, he had a long kind of 
wind down at the end of his life where he wasn't really able to keep doing the things he had done his whole life. So, you know, about that time period, yeah, I mean, I, I know, like, I think a lot of people don't know this. Like, you know that that one with Bill and, and Jeff together teaching, I think, at the same place, University of Melbourne? It's some university. And there's a part where Darren Daughtry asks the question and he's in a suit. It's pretty cool. That was actually the first PDC that Bill and Jeff ever taught together. So I think you kind of are. You're right in that handoff period where Bill realizes he can't really keep doing this anymore, and he needed kind of to, to, to take the Padawan, turn him into the Jedi, and, and back off and, and chill. And, and you would leave it to Bill to, to do the first time teaching with, with, his, uh, uh, with his heir apparent on film. Like uh, Only Bill would, would take those risks <laughs> like that. You know? Good training. Yeah, absolutely. But, I mean, so, well, let me get to Jeff in here just a second, though. So, so yeah, so that happened, and I had mentioned to while I was there, Jeff had, Jeff Lawton had also put on his website that he was taking basically live-in apprentices, like internships, for a while. And so I had asked Jeff and Bill during the class uh, while they were teaching. Hey, you know, I'm thinking about doing that because you know I, I'm interested in starting a school. And so Bill had asked me, he's like, well, where, where do you want to do that? Or where do you live? I said, Texas. He goes, well, which part? Because he's, he, he's been here quite a number of times. And uh, I said, you know, North Texas, Dallas area. And, and it, without skipping a beat, he said, well, you know, Dallas is the, um, uh, the capital of permaculture in the United States. And, and, and the first, immediately, what, what, I, what I responded with in my brain was like, no, it's not. There's like nobody, there's like nobody doing permaculture. But, you know, and, and, you know, and I don't want to uh, think too far into it or read too far into it, Jack, but uh, maybe he was trying to say, get the friggin' work, Nicholas. You know what I mean? Maybe. Get the friggin' work. It's yeah. possible, definitely. So, anyway, I, I, it, it kind of blew my mind. And, um, and so, wow. So, few months later, I think it was, I, I'm having a hard time now, I went ahead and enrolled. I enrolled to, uh, to go to Jeff Zaytuna Farm, and I went out there, and actually I, went, I did two trips out there, and let me just stop for a second. Um, I've got the privilege to learn from some very, very good teachers in permaculture, actually the, the, I think the best in the world. So Bill is the father of, uh, and, and there's a lot of people I haven't learned from, which I would love to, you know, or, or do some kind of project with. Bill is a father, man, and, and Bill is like amazing. I, I mean, don't, like, he changed my life. Like, Bill Bolson changed my life, for the record, I'm going to say that. But I don't think there is a better permaculture teacher on the planet, permaculture design course, than Jeff Lawton. I agree. Yeah, Jeff agree. Lawton, in my opinion, is the best permaculture design teacher on the planet. Yeah. Again, all and, and we have run a school. Like I'm a permaculture uh, teacher, right? So, like, so all you teachers out there, like, I haven't taken your course. I so you know, obviously, I don't know everybody's teaching method. Lifting somebody up is not putting somebody else down. We can leave it at that. I mean, okay, you cool, know, cool. yeah. I mean, awesome. that's he's just he's just in, in my opinion, like I don't think anybody's reached more people, gotten through to more people, and made it approachable to more people. You know, I think you strive, I strive, I think we all strive to teach at that level. But I don't know. Some people just have a gift. Some people have a gift, and that's great. And what I love about Jeff, like he's the he's the guy, only guy I know that's that high a level of a teacher in just about any discipline that has absolutely zero ego about somebody else teaching you know, taking his place someday, whatever, like, 
He wants as many people to be that great as possible, and I think that's part of what makes him so damn effective. He's not hold, He holds nothing back. You, you've taken martial arts throughout your life, and you know darn well that most martial arts teachers, they save a little bit, they say, and they make you earn it a little bit, a little bit. Jeff will freaking dump it into your head as fast as you can absorb it, and, and yeah. that's really cool. Yeah, and you better hope you're ready. Yeah. So, yeah, you better hope you're ready because, I mean, I, I've lived on the same farm as Jeff, and, you know, I know him personally. I mean, I know his family, Nadia, you know, his, his kids, and they're solid folks, man, and they are given of service of themselves to the world, man. So a lot is asked of, of the permaculture community, and he is definitely – I mean, look what he's doing with his online courses. I mean – uh, so, so, so those of you listening to you, if you're wanting to take a permaculture design course, I mean, absolutely, I'd say take a local one and take uh, an online one. I mean, I there's not, yeah, do I it, agree. absolutely do it. Um, so, you get blown away. So, man, let's get into yeah. your new course and like, you know, we just kind of pointed out how awesome a PDC is. I know you're still teaching PDCs, but I'm actually really happy about what you're doing with this landscape assessment course. And I think there's so much room for so many people to do things like this, whether it's like specific to the biome of like just even how to do like zone one gardening in your particular biome. Because there's a lot of people that, you know, that's what they really want. Uh, maybe they want the full design and that. But I think a lot of people go to go to PDCs and they expect to come home and know, you know, what 50 plants to plant in their backyard. And that's, you know, that's not how a PDC works. So let's start off with landscape assessment and exactly so people know what we're talking about. Define it. What is landscape assessment? Yeah, thank, thanks for setting it up like that. So, okay. So let's even if you don't take a permaculture design course, this course is for you. And especially if you take a permaculture design course, this course is 100% for you. So anybody who owns land that wants to make like a plan, right, or to do it like some kind of regenerative whatever, right, or if you're a designer. So a, per, a landscape assessment, here's the deal. And I have to use the word ethical. If you go to an ethical physician or a doctor, and I have to say ethical because you'll see why. If you, bring <laughs> your, if you bring your kid in, he's not just going to start giving your kid drugs. Now, 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 I know all of you are listening to this right now go, well, wait a minute. That's exactly what they do. So that's why I had to preference with ethical, right? So what, what, what does a good holistic doctor do? They're going to go, well, you know, what's, what's going on? Let me check your eyes, your ears, your mouth, your nose, your skin. What's going on? What are your symptoms? What's your family's medical history, right? They're going to start looking at the diagnostics. They're not just going to give you a diagnosis right away. So what this landscape assessment does is we're putting on that lens of a physician, of a doctor, right? And so... There's the vast majority of people don't know the right questions to ask. So this is basically uh, I was I'm writing a book, by the way. And so so this is one section of that book. And when I wrote it, I said people need to know about this right away. This is what I do when I'm working on other people's projects. I have to know, like, there's about 100 questions that I go through. There's about 100. Not all of them have to get answered. But I need to know all this data. So the only thing close to this is something like, uh, like I got a lot of buddies in the NRCS. And the NRCS, they do something called a landscape or a, uh, or a, a, pr a property inventory. And so, you know, they pull some, some stuff. But, but it's very, like, truncated. And I've talked to quite a few of them. And, 
and I've showed them this landscape assessment. They're like, man, we don't do anything like this. So what it is, so a landscape assessment is taking that data analysis and you're, and what, what I call that is the diagnostics. You're looking at the diagnostics of your property before you can even think about going in and, and doing a diagnosis in the form of such a, something as a design. Does that help? No, that makes a lot of sense. And kind of like adding to that for listeners, like what you're saying is let's not do type one errors, right? Or, or, or many others, but especially type ones, like, People get so excited. I, I, I know you hear this all the time because the swale is like the the epitome of permaculture. Swale everything. And like I, I hear from people like, I want to put swales on my property, Jack, and where do I put them? Like, whoa, hold on. You know, what, what kind of landscape are you in? What's your annual range? Like, does this make sense for you? What type of access do you want? You don't want to design access out, right? So like people will go in and they see like one permaculture technique and they get real excited about it. And that's good because we want people excited. But then they become attached to that technique, and they want to employ that technique and the tactics around it before they even know if it fits into their landscape. So the next thing you know, you've got a guy with a swell that's not really a swell, um, that's poorly designed, completely in the wrong area for, of his property, and doesn't fit any of – the worst part is it doesn't fit any of his actual goals because he has yet to define them and see how those goals interact with his landscape, Right. Right. So our process, the way we would do it. So and, 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 you know, without like I wish we could do like a screen share. You know what I'm saying? It's like I can kind of show you. So but so for just audio, uh, audio, uh, audible like learning. So if I was to consult for your property, right, which I, I don't take very many. Like we have a whole team of consultants here at the school. It's pretty awesome. You know, we would do like an interview with you. Right. We, and then we have a series of things that we go through there. And then we would do like a site walk if we're local. If not, it could be uh, over the internet. And then we do this landscape assessment. Now, the landscape assessment, there's a lot of things in there. Like I love it when you hear somebody they're like, oh yeah, go get an engineer or something like that. You know, like like that's something like everybody can go do. I mean, what they're what they're meaning is, you know, what what kind of well first like what, what kind of engineer do you mean? Right. So there, there's some like there's some specialty in that stuff, right? There's some specialty, and, and the closest thing that we can get to if coming from a layman's point of view is you want to look in the in the area of geology in the area of geology there's engineers called geotechnical engineers or geoenvironmental so so okay that's cool so now you want to go put in a dam or some earthworks or even a bench or put in a friggin slab down right well are you on vertisol clay right are you on histosol i mean are you on artisol so what kind of taxonomy is your soil on Right, so it, it don't don't misunderstand me, right? So really, all of this is super simple. Permaculture is actually very simple, but if you want to make sure you're not doing some huge errors, like putting in a forty thousand, sixty thousand dollar dam, you know there are a set of procedures that you should go through and look, do the investigation, take the data analysis, and and then and then you can make the right decisions. And that and you know I'm willing, like don't. Um, I don't want to say that that way. So just to say most of my students who come to me and most permaculturists that I know have no clue what geotechnical questions to ask for. Should, what kind of testing should you do? There's Proctor compaction testing, Atterberg limits test. You can even do like a direct shear test. You know, is it dispersive clay uh, testing? And there's all types of testing that can be done. And even then, that's a problem because once you know what the tests are, then you've got to find a laboratory that can do it. And most of the laboratories who look at you, 
you're a one-off guy. They don't care about you. So you've got to know the right way to approach them to say, hey, this is kind of what I'm doing. Would you please take my soil samples? Right. And then you got to make, make sure your soil samples are good. You got to do boring holes and all that. So, so this landscape assessment, first and foremost, it's going to, it comes with two things. It's a course. And then this is the first time I'm saying it publicly. And then there's a, I'm giving a free online tool that goes with this course. Uh, and we'll get into that in just a second. But the course itself, you need to take it first because like all these testings and the other things I'm talking about, it goes through those. You've got to do your diagnostics. Matter of fact, I've had some other uh, permaculturists look at this, some well-known permaculturists, and they're saying, like, look, this is really uh, probably going to change the game because this is going to up everybody's level now. So they now they're going to easily know what questions to ask before they start doing any design. There, there's now a resource out there. These are the things I have to ask. And once I get these uh, answers, now I'm ready to go design. I'm prepared. You still got to analyze the data, but you're, you're at least prepared at that point. So, so what really drove you like to realize there was a need for this to create this course? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, there's a couple of reasons. So the permaculture design course is huge. Like it's it, and, and it's so big. It goes over so many disciplines. Um, so it's all that's taught in there. There's not enough time to go through all the the data analysis and the diagnostics that are needed for a landscape like a landscape assessment, right? I mean, so basically chapters three and five in the manual it gives you a, a really good solid like these are the bare bones what you need for a landscape assessment. You know your sector analysis, your average annual, your climate, you know reading, right? So, however, that's like, like, like we all, like we all know, the permaculture design course is the foundation. So that's the foundation of the landscape assessment. But then we go further. We're, are you in a floodplain, right? Uh, what, what kind of climate classifications are you in? Are you in the Trethewartha? Or, or, uh, no, you are in the Trethewartha. W- w- which one are you in the Trethewartha? Or which one are you in the Köppen climate one? Which one are you in the USDA uh, climate zone? Right. So, so those, so the permaculture design course is so big, it doesn't have time to go over all that. Right. And I know I teach the thing, you know, I'm doing a permaculture design course, a segment of it once, at least once a month, every month. So that's one of the reasons. Um, and also like this is, this course, I decided to do it because it's going to aid our whole movement. And that's really what I'm into, man. Like I'm here to help. I'm here to serve. How can we make better designs? For people, how can the land, you know, how can we help heal the land? And if you're in permaculture, you're about healing, right? I mean, if we want to think about it, you, you heal the land, you heal people. So how can you do that better? And the and and and, and a, you can't. There's really no better way than permaculture, unless it's a you know literally like a, a miracle from Jesus himself. So and if you're going to do it, you need to have good data, you need to have good analytics, and you need to be able to make a, a good solid plan from those. And before we move on, like kind of making a case for things like soil types and things like that, I think a lot of people would say, well, maybe I don't really need that because like, I'm not going to put in a five-acre dam. I'm not going to build a brand new you know, house or structure or something like that. So I'm going to be doing kind of, let's say, the urban permaculture thing or something like that, you know, or you know, like the small-scale stuff, mid-scale stuff, and I'm not going to be able to really do anything that I'm really that concerned about this stuff. Well, I know a very well-known permaculture, so I won't name, because this is really not a negative, because it was one of those things, he has a school too, and he's just getting stuff done when he can, 
but uh, he put in uh, this like really cool kind of like I don't know what you call it really, but in Panama we'd call it a mojillo. It's like an, a, a covered top, and then all sides are open, that type of thing, kind of a like a like a canopy type thing. And they did yeah, like yeah. this really cool stone floor, and they had native stone that was there, and this big flat pieces of stone, and it was awesome. And like two seasons into it, it was a disaster because frost heaves lifted the stone up and jacked it up. And if they knew the soil that they were dealing with there and how it would respond to frost, you could have done that. Now, they fixed it, but you could have done it the first time and not had to spend all the time, energy, and money to redo it. But because it seemed like it would work and it was kind of a relatively flat spot, it was really big stones and it didn't seem like they would move, they just put it in, they dry fit it. It looked great until the frost heaved it, you know, a foot and a half up out of the ground, and then the other side had sucked down a foot, right? And, you know, that's an example of something you wouldn't really think that your soil type was that important, but I'm sure if they had done the analysis you're talking about, it may have tipped them off that, hey, maybe we need to reinforce this with some kind of a slab underneath it or something like that, or create additional drainage so when the frost happens there's not as much moisture there. Like, you would have been, like, what is the solution? There might have been five, but at least you would have known to look for one. You know, I couldn't have made a better case, Jack. I mean, you're. Te- I mean, perfect example. Yeah, uh, here in the Blackland Prairie in North Texas, where we're at, we're in what's called a vertisol soil type, and that soil type, there's only two percent of that soil in the world. I mean, it's like clay from here to China, right? Uh, you're, you're just unless the, you're uh, here, unless you're at my place. <laughs> yeah. Well, you're 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 right going into that cross timbers because yeah. it, so 35 kind of splits. That's really where East and West Texas split. I mean, mm-hmm. not not. I mean, we couldn't say that. I know what you mean. I know yeah. what you mean. Yeah, yeah. So like, so so so. There's another good example. So we got a both an urban site and a farm site. Praise the Lord. And our urban site, we're. I mean, man, <laughs> if you've ever been over here uh, uh, and taken a course that, or like, we do a lot of the free intros here at the suburban site. It's just a, like a regular Fox and Jacobs 1980 built home. I mean, there are cracks up and down this whole thing. Nobody should build homes out of slab here. If you're in Los Colinas, Irving area, that particular area in the Blackland Prairie has some of the worst, I believe they're Hayden subsoils, I have to look again. Uh, yeah, so it's a vertisol soil, but and but the subs, the, there's like, you know, that's a big classification, and then underneath that there's like four or five others. And so that one, like literally, Los Colinas is sinking, right? It's sinking. So they had a whole team of engineers on that, and you know they knew that. Why did they continue to go? So we don't need to make those same mistakes, even if you're just putting a greenhouse up or like a like maybe you want to do a chicken coop on slab, which I wouldn't recommend, but you know do something like that. But Jack, that's not the only reason. I mean, we're just talking about soil. I mean, what about you know what about your restrictions? You know, if you want to build a friggin' house out of shipping containers, you need to know where to look. To make sure that you can. Now, don't, don't misunderstand me. I, I can't, you know, as the director of the School of Permaculture, I'm not going to tell you to do anything illegal. But I, but I've heard a lot of people just kind of go do it anyway, right? Yeah. Uh, but, but you know, what about that stuff? What about if you want to do a composting toilet or a biogas digester? Where do you look at to get that information, right? Or you know. Uh, what about your vegetation? How, what are the, the set of questions that you need to know to look for, you know, what are the weeds, the leguminous species, the the, the uh, native species in your area? Where you started out kind of like your scale of permanence, right? Because, like, the only thing more permanent than a mountain is a mountain of paperwork, right? So 
those <laughs> those those governmental restrictions sometimes they get changed but you can't bet on that right so if you really have your heart set on something and you end up in a place with a governmental restriction it might as well be a mountaintop you're not moving it no I, I, you know you're absolutely right and and you know there's there's other things involved too what about emergency routes right from your area what about airports those all believe it or not affect your design what about the roads leading to your property right if they're all dirt roads and they can't handle a a, a semi coming over with a, a fully loaded 40 inch trailer 40 foot trailer that's going to affect your design right <laughs> that's you another know? scale of permanence issue right there <laughs> yeah, man. it may be paved someday but you're not going to be the one that does it so you know kind of on that who does this benefit like who really should be taking this course Yeah, so I mean the 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 main focus of the of what this who will who will benefit from this course and this tool is twofold. Anybody who owns property. If you own so I mean any property that is habitable for humans obviously. And even if it's not, if it's for wildlife conservation, it would still completely work. So anybody who owns property and you want to make a plan to move forward and really regenerate or, or even just sustain your landscape, well, that's a whole other conversation too, resiliency, sustainability, and regeneration. Maybe that's a topic for another day. And then also the, 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 the actual – those of us who are actually doing it. So not, not only are we owning land, but we're like we're, – we're consulting. We're out there being designers, and we're, we're creating multiple – Uh, situations and projects and designs for other people and this tool is like for for that group of us anybody who's taken a permaculture design course or you know if you're a regenerative um, agriculturist at some point this is an invaluable tool because it doesn't just allow you to create one landscape assessment you get you get an infinite number of landscape assessments right so i could start one right now i could title it uh, uh jack's uh masochistic uh, Rock farm. infused farm, yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> go through the landscape assessment. You know, it take you a little while to get through it, and then you go, okay, that one's good, and then print. And there's the other deal, man. At the end of this, you print a friggin' document, so you don't have to like. It collates everything for you. It takes all the guesswork out of it. Like you go in, it asks you the question, and you're like, uh, I don't know. So it goes, okay, well, here's a resource. Here's how you find that information. Oh, and by the way, here's a link. Click it. Boom, opens up that web page. You grab the information, put it back into the form. I mean, it's literally that simple, right? If you got, and then so another one's like you're going to ask, a, uh, so what about this little area that's weird? It holds water. I don't know. Take a photo of it. Put it into the form on your phone, on your friggin' mobile device. Upload that photo. Print it out. And then now you've got like a 15 to a 60-page document that is all specifically catered to your Landscape. You are somebody's landscape that you're working on. That's doing your homework, guys. That's going in. So basically, we've provided a, a method for you guys to truly do your homework on your sites. So then now you can you can make much better decisions. Well, that's cool. And I mean, so you're covering there's like property owners and then consultant types as well, uh, or people that are doing project based work, things like that. I guess the, the the one that you leave out of there that I think is like critically important, people looking for property. Because if I'm looking five or six different properties and I can run them through this type of an assessment before I decide which one to make an offer on, I'm a much more informed buyer. 
And, and there's times where, like, you know, we make jokes that I'm a masochist because of the two last properties I've owned, but there's times where you just have to bite the bullet and say, well, to make Mama happy and everybody else happy, this works. But if you have flexibility, a lot of times you can make your life a lot easier and a lot less expensive just by picking between two properties that, without that type of a critical look through the permaculture lens, look very similar. But when we take that look through the lens, they look awful different, if you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For, for those who don't know, Jack and I live in a, near near each other, not too far away. So I might post a video of, of a glorious video of Jack. And I. So we we go way back and we uh, we joke around a lot. So yes, so so because because I preempted that. Yes, he's masochistic. <laughs> <laughs> I'll take on H. And that's what permaculture was made for to 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 make the land that is not ideally. Uh, productive land into productive land and and I'm testing to see how far that can go um, anyway <laughs> back to your stuff um, yeah, yeah would somebody that wants to take this course have to have previous permaculture knowledge or can it just be like kind of a regular Joe because a lot of these courses like if you're going to do like you know, an urban design course, it really is beneficial to have done a full PDC for it first or something like that but I kind of get the feeling that with the type of you know, question and answer type assessment, the tool that this is something that would really benefit anybody. Like, it might be more valuable to somebody with a PDC, but it doesn't mean that it's not valuable to like the average Joe. No, and that and we and it was created for like if you have no clue what that at, the question means, like if what Copen climate classification are you in, and you like you just go uh, what. Dude, there's a few links right there, right under the question. You click on it, and you go, oh, okay, now I understand what he means. You know what I mean? So it's for anybody, it's it's totally user-friendly, and it's totally user-friendly. It, that's what it's for. You have a real good point. Anybody looking to buy property, too, anybody can use this. Anybody can obviously watch videos, and anybody can use this tool. Very cool, man. So. What do you think some of the, the, the key benefits that a person will get by taking this course? Like, you know, it's features tell, benefits sell type of thing. Yeah, so, um, yeah, what you – hold on, I, I almost like uh, tripped over my own tongue there. <laughs> yeah, so I, I think we've named a lot of the benefits here that you that you get. So this is your opportunity to, to continue your journey – Start something brand new that has very good data analysis and metrics to it. There's no other tool like this that has compiled all of this stuff together, and it's here to help you. It's here to make you a better uh, steward of your landscape or multiple landscapes if that's your walk in life. Very cool, man. So um, when will this tool uh, – in fact, hold on. Let me back up there a second. Is there like a size constituent for acreage to take this course? You know, like would this really benefit somebody like on that, you know, tenth of an acre typical you know, you know what it's like around here. They they cram as many houses as they can, but some people make some pretty awesome permaculture backyards. So would this be good for that person? Is it more for the, somebody with at least like the small three acre place I got? Or, you know, is it really better for big? Or is it kinda like good all around? Yeah, I'm going to say it's good all around. And here's the thing. It's $99, right? Yeah, exactly. So it's like it's like a no-brainer. Like even if you don't take a permaculture design course, which disclaimer, you know, red flag, take a permaculture design course, you know. But even if you didn't, 
uh, I said red flag because I actually said if you didn't take a permaculture design course, yeah. like totally take one. So uh, even if you didn't, though, this is a, a tool that doesn't cost you a lot of money. It lets you know what you need to look for, and it gives you all the resources and the solutions to put it together. And, and you know, I mean, I'm excited about it uh, just talking about it. You know, if you can't tell in my voice, I mean, I just I get excited because this makes this makes my job easier too. Like if I'm you know, if I was doing your project, you know, I'd have to all I, I did this manually. I put all these in manually, do a Google Doc and copy and, you know, all this stuff. And it was just, you know, to do one of these before, I mean, it took me about two weeks. And now I can, you know, do it uh, in a minimum of two hours to two days, right? And depending on how, how hard I crunched all the data. So, you, man, it's just makes my life a lot simpler. And I know it's going to make everybody who's doing this life uh, a lot simpler as well. So, like, when is all this going to be available? Is it available now? Is it going to be coming soon? Is it, you know, end of the year? Like, when are you going to have this all ready to go for people to uh, be able to take the course and get access to this tool? Uh, and maybe this part, Jack, we, we, you know, if you deem it needs to be deleted uh, out, uh, <laughs> when will when will this air, this particular? Um, oh, it, like, in about 10 minutes after we're done. Oh, there you go. Okay, so the tool is available, I'm sorry, the course is available right now. Literally, as we're speaking, I'm watching my team of developers uh, on Skype go over the last bits of the printing uh, module. It actually prints, but we're trying to get it to just do something way cooler for y'all guys, too. So uh, the whole course is available, and so if you go on, you, you purchase it, boom, it's really good. Um, that online tool you know, should be available within like four hours of right now of okay. me speaking, but uh, if not, give it a day or two. All right, so really, really soon. And so it is going to be an online-driven tool. It's not going to be like a piece of software somebody installs or an app. It's going to be browser-based. You go, you fill it out, and, and it produces this report, which I think for people that are in the consulting business is just an awesome thing to be able to have as a deliverable to a client. There it is. You see what I mean? It, yeah. When you walk up to somebody and you do that, and if they have no idea what to expect, right, and then you hand them a 15- to a 16-page document, let me tell you from personal experience, that changes the ballgame. That changes the whole conversation, right? That one, like that's a deliverable, first and foremost. That gives them so much to crunch. And it puts, it lets them know you took the time on their site, right? You took the time and you're proving it to them. Not that they'd have, you know, doubts on you anyway. Or maybe some of you, I don't know. <laughs> but, you know. Uh, I will tell you from personal experience, like it, it is a it is a game changer when you hand that document over. Well, it, it seems to me like it's more valuable than a lot of like the CAD based stuff with every tree designed it and stuff like that. Because to tell you the truth, I've seen a lot of those designs. I've not ever seen one that was actually implemented the way that it was designed, down to the last you know bush or shrub or tree. Like it's really easy. I mean, CAD takes some work, but it's really easy once you know CAD to sit down and start going, we'll put a walnut tree here, and we'll put some pecans over here, and we're going to build this guild out like this, and we're going to put a, you know, a, a, you know, a, a pecola over here, and an arch there. But, like, doing that stuff is a totally different situation. And then, you know, you're back to kind of your initial analogy. Like, let's say you took your kid to the doctor, and your doctor goes, here's five drugs, get in your kid and get out of here. You're like, I need a new doctor, right? So how can you go in and start designing all of this, like, very, you know, the fine pencil components of the system? You don't even know what kind of soil you've got. 
You know, you ha you don't know what the client's real goals are. You know, and like if you want to see a designer that I think is not a very good designer, all their designs look the same because then they're designing what they want instead of what their client needs, right? Like if you're designed to, to the, the client's need, there might be some common components in any design, but the overall design is going to change because how much work does that like? I'm sure that's part of like not really your landscape assessment, but your client assessment, right? Like how much work do you want to do? How much time do you have to put into this? How much food can you really deal with? Right? Like, because uh, yeah, some people absolutely. just might want more of, I want a little bit of edibles into my landscaping, but I'm more concerned with designing out noise, getting rid of the neighbor that looks over the fence at me, you know, whatever it is, but I don't want to use chemicals and, and stuff like that. So they might have very simple needs. And somebody else might be like, well, you know, I've got like 15 family members that come hang out here all summer long, and I want to be able to feed everybody, and I want to. I don't want to mess up the fish and game on my property, and I want to be able to harvest deer, and I want to put in food plots. And like So like all of those things affect the final design that a good consultant comes up with. And what you're talking about is kind of the bedrock, you know, not to really even try to make it a metaphor of like no matter what you want, right, if you have sand for soil, I'm not going to give you a 20-acre uh, lake. You know, just like that's that's yeah. that's not going to happen. We're not going to do that, and we're not going to build you know a stone structure on that without like a major underpinning. So I want to balance your needs and your wants, but I also want to balance it with reality. And to me, this assessment says, here's your big ass reality check, right? This is the reality that you're designing against. This is all those restrictions that make the design elegant if the designer's up to the task. Yeah. So let me add to that. So so. I'll, the, this landscape assessment is part of a book that I've been writing for the last couple of years, and I've, I've spoken a, about it publicly a little bit, but not much, so more, a lot more people will know now here in the next few minutes uh, after they hear this. But it's a book on how to friggin' permaculture consult, and there's not one out there. So we've all been just winging it, you know? And even if you've been doing it 30 years, you started winging it, right? <laughs> That's how you started so our uh, and I don't want to give you know too much uh, uh, info on it right now um, because it's not finished. But sure. basically, our step process there's many steps, right? So you have like that first point of contact, right? Your project brief. What do you do after that? Like how do you move forward? And then you know there's options. Like what like what is the real scenario? Like like is this is it a retrofit, a farm that already has, uh, you know, something going on? Is it like an aid project where there's like no money and there's like, you know, 600 people they need to get fed and they're like in the middle of uh, Haiti? Is it a, you know, somebody's got five acres and 250 grand? Is it right? So, so then we got to look at the project brief, and then from there we got to go. Okay, well, that takes a completely different set of tools, whatever one they go through. And then, you know, the next three steps are we got to do what I call the personal interview because I don't actually like to use the word client. I mean, um, it's, it's, you know what I mean? I mean, you're getting into a relationship with anybody that you're going to work with. So you go, okay, well, what are my, uh, my personal interview questions? And that's basically like, like it's a personal landscape uh, assessment or it's a personal assessment. It's just like this landscape assessment, but it's for the person or the stakeholders or the, or the team that's like making the decisions on whatever property that is. You got to do that. I highly recommend a site walk. Um, a, a lot of the 
residential stuff, you know, doesn't need a site walk. It could do pictures. So I could be here and I, I'd feel pretty confident doing a project for somebody in the UK, even though I've never set foot on their land. If it's like under half an acre, you know, I'd feel comfortable too with 40 acres, but I wouldn't feel as comfortable as like under half, half an acre, you know? Sure. Um, and then, and then from there, you, you've got that assessment, and that gives you that gives you a lot of data. Like you can't design in almost any animal system if somebody only wants to show up on their property once a week, and and that happens a lot. Like there's people who are like, oh, I got this property, I want a permaculture design it. Well, I mean, okay, you, you want this to happen in two years, or and then, but you can only be there once a week. Yeah, I don't think so. You know, you know what I mean? We we got to have that conversation, and then after that, you you get into the landscape assessment. And then you've got to analyze both the landscape assessment, where they're coming from, the personal interview. You analyze that stuff. And then, like I mentioned earlier, you have the lens of a physician when you do the landscape assessment. But when you are a consultant, you have the lens of a pastor because then it's your job to marry the landscape assessment and the, um, and the personal interview together in such a way that's beneficial for the humans that are there and for all life in the landscape uh, that's there. There's tons more after that, but I think that's probably a good good. Yeah, man. So what about the person that says, I like all this, but I don't want to take the course, and I don't have time for all this. I want someone to do it for me. Um, Like you mentioned, you have a lot of consultants. Is is there something a person like that can do if they want someone to maybe take the reins for them on something like this? Yeah, so that's exactly right. So we got a team of consultants here with the School of Permaculture. Uh, we have two different modules uh, uh, that we do. We have a consulting team that's a for-profit, and then we got the non-profit that takes donations. Uh, so let's just talk about the for-profit. Uh, for-profit for anything under half an acre, our team will do consulting, landscape assessment, and design. So we'll do this for you for like 650 bucks. It's got to be under half an acre. Nobody's doing that. It's super inexpensive. Um, and then if you just want the landscape assessment and, you know, somebody, you want somebody to put two days in, uh, looking at your, 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 your landscape through our tool, uh, you just call us, let us know. Uh, we have somebody on our team who can help you do that. And let me just make another boost. If you are a designer and a consultant, and then you want to do this by all means, 99 bucks, go get the course, get the tool and you do the exact same thing we're doing. Like this isn't a proprietary, it's only for us out here at the School of Permaculture. Use the tool, go make the world a better place, man. Cool, man, cool. So, hey, I got a couple wrap-up questions for you that aren't quite directly about permaculture. You're known for a catchphrase, man, like, you know, like Bart Simpson has some catchphrases and what have you. Your, your catchphrase is glorious. So what's up with glorious, man? Dude. <laughs> Jack, one time I went to uh, it, 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 you know, but you didn't know when I got there. So you ha- you do these awesome things where you get like fifty guys out and they come and hang out on on um, on Nine Mile Farm. So your first couple, like I was there and I was I was doing some teaching with you, and so I think it was like the second or third or fourth one. I don't remember. Well, I show up and I don't know anybody who's there. And the first people I see, they're outside of your garage, and they've got like this like. All, all types of cool stuff. Like I think a guy had a, a rocket stove out and another guy had this like electrical battery thing going on. And then one guy was there and his name is John Dowie, right? I remember. He's a real uh, real tall guy. And and he just 
he ne- he'd never seen me before, and he looked up and and if you guys don't know me, I mean, I got long hair, I'm, and and you know, I, I really do my best to stay in a really positive attitude, and and he just like looked at me and he gave me this scowl, like, and I said, well, what's up, man? He's like, what's up? He's like, how are you? I said, I'm glorious. <laughs> <laughs> He about died, man. He about just like rolled. He didn't know what to say. So that whole evening, I was hanging out with you guys, and so it got used that evening. And then I told you about it. And uh, you know what I'll do is I'll send you a video, and and, and I'll let you when you post this uh, post on the Survival Podcast, I'll let you decide because it's, it's you. I don't know if you remember. Uh, I'll let you decide if you want to post it on there. Or okay. Not. It's pr- pretty hilarious. Okay, cool, man. And and then finally, man, like, do, do you have your air guitar tuned? You know, I mean, is it like a tuned guitar? Is it out of tune? What's up with that? Dude, it has only ever been out of tune once. Ever. <laughs> ever. So so on that note, because I, I let, let's – anybody who wants, like, to, to smile, I've never introduced air guitar, and it didn't bring it at least a little giggle or a little smirk of smile. So, Jack, man, let's just throw it on right now. Let's just air guitar for all you people listening. Ready? One, two, three. <laughs> You know, my, my, it doesn't work with my wife. My wife hates air guitar. I don't know what it is. She's like, what's wrong with you? Like, you got to have fun. You can't be so serious about yourself, man. And, of course, that's a kind of a nod to Bill and Ted as well. And that's uh, how we run a lot of our communities anymore. Be excellent to each other. Go be non-excellent somewhere else. Uh, but, man, hey, I enjoyed hanging out with you. Uh, people want to take your course, they can just go to uh, schoolofpharmaculture.com. And, uh, and there's a, a link there that says online courses, right? And that's where they can sign up. Absolutely. Cool. And I'll make sure I have links in the show notes. And uh, let me roll, man, so I can get everything uh, wrapped up and get this live. But, hey, I appreciate you being with us today, Nick. And when you got something else, man, you want to come back, you know what to do. Fill out the form. It goes to the illustrious Dorothy. And uh, next thing you know, you're on the air with us. Hey, man, bless you guys. Hey, love you guys. Dorothy, good. Uh, I don't know if you listen to the background. Always good hanging out with you guys. Uh, we'll bring Faithful over later, Tegan and her hang out. And so on that, see you later. Right, really enjoyed hanging out with Nicholas Burtner, man. He's he's a cool dude. Uh, again, like he kind of mentioned on the show, we go way back. I think, I think he was at he definitely was he was at the first workshop I ever did uh, here at Nine Mile Farm. I think before we were even calling it Nine Mile Farm, I don't know that we even really intended it to be a farm yet. I think when we we at that point we were just making it a homestead. Uh, when we moved here, we didn't actually think like, okay, we're gonna have a duck farm. Like that wasn't really the plan. Like that kind of just happened along the way as we as we assessed our landscape and figured out what worked best for it. Anyway, if you like this show and the work that I do, one of the ways that you can help support us is by doing your online shopping at tspaz.com. When you're going to shop online, get on over to tspaz.com and you can do your shopping on Amazon through there. As long as you shop through tspaz.com, you help support the Survival Podcast and the work that we do. I have a unique product for you today. This is a product I mentioned in passing when I was talking about my reviews and the integrity that goes into them. And what I said was I have this product that clearly the manufacturer has fake reviews on Amazon, but I bought the product because a friend had it, and it's a good product. And I got a couple emails from people saying, dude, just put it out and tell people that. And I thought about it, and I decided that's what I was going to do. This is a wireless, waterproof Bluetooth speaker. Now, it's what's called IPX5 level waterproof. This means you can take it in the shower and it's fine, but you probably shouldn't throw it in your pool. All right? You get pressurized water, you get it fully submerged, then you're going to have problems. But, like, if you forgot it, 
like I did one time with a really expensive one, like sitting on the side of your truck when you were working and it pours rain, no problem. And that actually works. And my friend that, that showed me this product, we were outside. He like held it under his water sprinklers. And so test mine when I got it. I got in the shower and had a beer and took a long shower with like water blasting all over it and the music blasting. And guess what? It worked just fine. So I was like, okay, I'm going to review this thing. So I always do my due diligence for you guys, even if I've tried the product. So I go to FakeSpot, it gets a freaking F at FakeSpot. And I'm like, what the hell? So I start looking at the reviews, and they're long, and they're over, overly praising, a lot of them are. And I start looking at the people that reviewed them, and they're all reviewing the same products, mostly for this company who makes this thing. It's called the iChocolate Mini Bluetooth Speaker. It's a company called Okumai, of course, out of China. So then I'm like, well... What do I do? Because here's the truth. For 45 bucks for a waterproof, portable, good-sounding Bluetooth speaker that uses, you know, uh, like fourth-gen Bluetooth, syncs like instantly, never gives you any shit. I hate Bluetooth devices. I have a $300 Bose speaker that occasionally I have to wipe the memory of it from my devices to get it to sync. This thing never freaking fails. It always freaking works, but the company's a bunch of cheaters. They cheated the Amazon review. So I decided I would just put it out and say, hey, if you can find me a better product like this for 45 bucks or less, I'll try it. I'll recommend it instead of this. In spite of the fact that these guys cheated, the product's good. Again, it's called the Okumai, O-U-C-O-M-I, iChocolate Mini. You'll find the review at the survivalpodcast.com, and you can also find it, of course, through tspaz.com. And again, whenever you shop online with, with you know, at all, through tspaz.com, you help support the Survival Podcast and the work that we do, and that does again apply now to all of you folks in the United States, Canada, and the United Kingdom. We're now affiliates for all three of those regions, not just the United States anymore. Anyway, I also have a video of this device. You can see it work. I stream it across my iMac because I'm using my phone for recording purposes at the time. It works. It, it just works. I wish these guys hadn't cheated But you know what? I'm beginning to realize how many of these people are cheating on Amazon now because it takes so much effort to get off the ground on Amazon and be found. And they're kind of doing the same types of things that people like me did as Black Hat SEOs, search engine optimizers, back in the early 2000s when we could just make Google do whatever we wanted. Anyway, you check out the video, you check out the product. And again, if you could show me something for 50 bucks or less that's waterproof like in the shower and it's as good as this or better, please do. I'll recommend it instead because I'd rather recommend somebody that doesn't cheat. Until then, at this price point, best thing I found. I'm looking at some better speakers for you guys. I found something really cool from my nephew this last week when I went to my grandniece's birthday party. I haven't set it up yet. Once I do, if, uh, if it works as good as it appeared to at his house, I'll have a really high-end uh, recommendation for wireless speakers throughout your house uh, that all work across your network. But for now, for 45 bucks, something will go anywhere. Cheater or not, man, this iChocolate Mini rocks. Anyway, next up, YouTube channel of the day. This one is from a member of our community. And it is one of the types of channels that I did want to feature rather than just all the big channels. Um, this guy's name is Chris Gillum. He's on YouTube. He does reviews of game cameras. He does stuff on trapping and stuff like that. And he recently kind of really blew up. He went from like 800 subscribers to like 12,000 in a couple weeks And uh, it was from a, a video that was called, I Guess They Do Bite, that has to do with his trapping uh, adventures. It's worth checking out. Chris Gillum on YouTube. Link in today's show notes. 
That brings us to our song of the day. Um, this is one I had actually never heard this song before. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I've never actually heard this song. Never even heard of the band. The band's called Muse, and the song is called Uprising. And uh, obviously, I am in the minority here because the video on YouTube alone has 126 million views. And it's kind of a cool song. It really, this band to me kind of takes me back to kind of the uh, the almost new age stuff of the 1980s. Like, you know, like Flock of Seagulls and stuff like that. Um, like, not quite out there in the fringes, more of the mainstream sound. Thompson Twins, things like that. Though it's, it doesn't sound like that. It's their own thing, but it's that kind of style of music. And I actually like music like that. Not all the time. You know, I'm more of a, I'm more of a, a Willie Nelson, Bob Seeger, rock and roll, country, old school guy, but I, I dig this kind of music too. And, uh, the song's pretty awesome. Let me give you some facts about it on, from Song Facts. Um, they are an English alternative rock band, so that kind of fits right in with what I was saying. Uh, this is from their, their first single from their fifth studio album called The Resistance. Singer-guitarist Matt Bellamy described this to Mojo Magazine August 2009 in a pre-release interview as like a heavy rock take on gold frap. It has a football-style chanting with all of us going, oi, in time with the snare drum. He added laughing, it's meant to be a football hooligans chanting in protest at the banking situation. Uh, Bellamy told MTV News that this is one of the key tracks on the resistance. He explained it is the first track on the album. It kind of sums up what some of the album's about, you know, just sick of all these bloody bankers, politicians, just turned everything into a load of bollocks and just keep spending money on shit and blowing everything. So it's kind of a, like a song that says, take the power back, but have a good time at the same time. Have a good time all the time. That's what we believe. That's the survival podcast. Take the power back. And you ain't going to do it by shifting around which ass clown is in charge. You're going to do it by taking the freaking power back for yourself and your own life and the things that you can get done. So with that in mind, we have Uprising by Muse. With that, this has been Jack Spirico with another edition of the Survival Podcast. Help you figure out how to live that better life. Tom's get you up for even if they don't.